0: You cannot talk about time management and ADHD without talking about ADHD manifestation, because you can't just solve for the functional side of time management. You have to solve for the ADHD stuff at the same time. You have to figure out what combinations of things are going on, what, what part of it is structural and is the need for systems and habits and routines around time, and what parts of it are ADHD behaviors.
1: Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Another big thank you to Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies for doing the heavy lifting on editing this episode. You can learn more about his work at idealvideostrategies.com. Also, my friend Eric Tivers is launching another season of his ADHD Rewired adult coaching and accountability groups. I highly recommend taking part in these groups. I've been a member twice, once as a participant and again as an alumni administrator. In these groups, you'll learn skills to help with habit formation, goal setting, time management, planning, and prioritizing. And equally importantly, you will find a supportive community of ADHD peers who will provide you with the accountability and acceptance that so many of us need. These truly are transformational groups. The next registration event is this Thursday, March 18th, at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. Go to coachingrewired.com to register. And along with that, please also be sure to listen to the other shows on the ADHD Rewired podcast network. Eric's show, The Flagship ADHD Rewired, targets adult ADHD through interviews, with both experts and regular folks who have the disorder. Hacking Your ADHD with Will Kerb centers on providing tips and strategies to help you better manage the disorder. And our newest show, ADHD Diversified, hosted by the one and only MJ, focuses on diversity within the world of ADHD. And finally, coming up on next week's episode, I will share with you Two very exciting announcements, one about the upcoming round of parent coaching groups and another about an alumni group I'll be launching soon for those who have already been part of the groups. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Shelly Collins. Shelly is an ADHD coach and the co-host of the Translating ADHD podcast with Cameron Gott. In this week's episode, Shelly talks about the relationship between ADHD and time. She discusses why ADHDers don't really procrastinate, the difference between big brain mode and fast brain mode, the time horizon, the importance of understanding the ADHD causes of our challenges, and ways to solve email drama. Alright, let's get rolling.
0: I am Shelley Collins, I am an ADHD coach, and I know your listeners are super familiar with my podcast co-host Cameron Gott, so I am the other host of Translating ADHD with Cam. I'm glad that you
1: mentioned the title because I want to make sure that my, my podcast listeners, if they don't listen to Translating Your ADHD, are aware that it has come out, that it is happening because way back when I released episode 100... Cam and I talked about that and he kind of asked me some questions about podcasting and if that was a thing you should do. And he's gone ahead and done it. So they've got a great back catalog to check out of. You've been going for a little over a year now, I think, right? Yeah, we are over 60 episodes now. Congratulations. Thank you. You are on this show to talk about time and kind of how it works with ADHD.
0: I love that we've already talked about my podcast because that's actually a great segue into. ADHD and time management and sort of where I'm coming from on that topic. The concept of translating ADHD actually came from a presentation that I gave at the National Association of Organizing and Productivity Professionals. So these are working professional organizers that often work with ADHD people on issues of organization and time management. And two years ago, I gave a presentation on ADHD and time management, that was very different from what one would normally see at this type of conference. Normally those talks are very clinical you're sort of looking at the areas of executive function, the things that we already know, looking at the behaviors, discussing strategies. What I wanted to do is I wanted to help this room full of neurotypical professionals working with ADHD people better understand what it's like to be inside of our brains. Because even the most well-intentioned supportive people in our lives, our parents, our friends, our coworkers, our bosses, our teachers, they want to help, but they don't know how to help because they're addressing the behavior only. And there is so much more going on behind ADHD and time management than the behavior that other people see. One of the pieces of time that I like to talk about is that Folks with ADHD,
1: we often conflate time with emotion where if we're excited about something, we're like, yeah, no, that'll take me five minutes. And our husband, wife, best friend, whoever, boss is like, that's an hour long job. And you're so very wrong. You might get it done in 45 minutes, but five minutes is not going to happen. And it's just because it's a thing we enjoy doing or something we're excited about, or sometimes we're anxious about getting it done. And so we're kind of being overconfident because we're so nervous to just have it get done, but the anxiety can work in the other way too. And if it's something that we're anxious about doing or don't feel confident in our skills about, we're like, oh, that's going to take all day. When in reality, it's a 45 minute experience, but we feel like it's going to take forever. Is that the kind of thing that you're talking about with regard to the internal experience?
0: That's absolutely what I'm talking about. So externally, What are the behaviors that the people around us see? They see that we're late, that we fail to complete, that we procrastinate. And they make assumptions that we don't care, or we're forgetful, or we're lazy, or maybe we're selfish or unmotivated. And that is the place from which they then try to provide solutions. Well, if you just write it down, if you just set a timer or an alarm, if you just start sooner. So I tell neurotypical professionals working with ADHD people that the number one worst thing that you can say to an ADHD person is if you just, because if I could just, I would just, and yes, ADHD people do have problems with sequencing Problems with anchoring ourselves in time. There are functional challenges there because of the way that our brains are wired, but that's only part of the picture. You know, you look at the word procrastination, the definition of the word procrastination is to intentionally put off the doing of something that should be done. And for those of us with ADHD, our intention is to do it, it's always to do it. Our intentions are so good. But there's all this other stuff in the way between our intention and getting to action. A lot of times that is limbic system, emotional stuff. It's how our ADHD is manifesting. And I have to say, I love your wall of awful. Oh, thank you. I use it with my clients all of the time. And that is one really great example of what is happening between intention and action building up walls of awful around our tasks, ruminating. I have clients that get stuck in the ruminator or get stuck in the planning phase. That piece about getting stuck in the planning phase and kind of ruminating on the planning and and
1: that stuff, that's a thing I've been railing against, not on this show because it just hasn't come up, I guess, but um, I'm in like some entrepreneurial ADHD type mastermind groups And a lot of the people who are doing those things, who are planning businesses or trying to improve their businesses, they get stuck in this. Well, I've been to this training and I watched these videos about this thing that I want to do. And I'm really been thinking a lot about my website and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, just do it. Just do it and do it. Because the fastest way to learn about stuff is to do it. A lot of us spend way too much time in research land and planning land, and not enough time in execution land. And I, it's, it's a thing that I talk about a fair amount. And even COVID has kind of got us there, right? Where, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to navigate school? What are we going to do for the summer? There, even with parenting, I've seen it happen a little bit where there's some stuck in, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my kids so that they have the best experience during COVID that's possible. And right now we're in the middle of it. That experience is happening. So it's not. I'm not hearing that as much as I did in the past. But it's critical to be able to move past that planning stage and into the action phase. But it's also important to do a little bit of planning, right? Like You don't want to just do the thing and have no idea where you're going. That isn't great either. So I don't want to sound like I'm only about the action, but we want to pay attention to how bogged down in planning we get. And if we don't experience time well, we
0: might not realize how long we've spent planning. And I'm glad you brought that up. We don't want to act without some amount of planning, because Cam and I actually talked about this on a recent episode of our podcast. We introduced this concept of big brain versus fast brain. So these are two manifestations that we often see in our adult clients. The big brain is exactly what you just described. It's those of us that can get really enamored with the planning phase. It's the reason that I bought this podcast microphone in 2014 and didn't have a podcast until 2019. Fast brainers are sort of the opposite experience. It's that ready, fire, aim, that living in reactive mode or that just sort of shoving through, you know, I'd rather ask for forgiveness than get permission. And that can cause a lot of challenges too you know, just go, go, go with no thought about where am I going? Am I going in the direction that I want to be going? Am I doing meaningful work here? And both are a challenge. And this is where having structure
1: can be helpful. I actually have a structure for how I plan. And at this point, I've been doing it for so long that it's kind of loose. I used to be more rigid about it because I had to be until I learned it. But when I'm planning stuff, I do the whole begin with the end in mind, right? Like, where do I want to go? What do I want the end result to be and work backwards from there? Which I learned from teaching. Like, this is what the test is going to be. I have to make sure that I taught the kids the stuff so that they can pass the test, right? And then something I learned early on in my entrepreneurial world on The Fizzle Show, which is a podcast that I don't know if it exists anymore, but it was a good podcast on business stuff back in the day, which is called The Premortem, which is you imagine that you've done the thing And it went horribly wrong. Everything blew up in your face. And you kind of go, what realistically might blow up in my face? And you figure all that stuff out. And then I also play with my emotions. And how do I want to feel? If I finish this, how is that going to feel? And I try to kind of embody that a little bit so that when I hit the swamp of the activity or the project, when I'm just slogging through and it's hard and I don't want to do it anymore, I try to tap into that. Yeah, but when I'm done, it's going to feel like this. I'm going to feel so great. Or I'm going to feel like relieved sometimes. And that helps me get through that slog in the middle that so often happens, which admittedly isn't time. But having that structure of a plan, the way that relates to time is it reduces how much time I spend in my planning stage because I know what my ending is for my planning stage
0: what i want your listeners to pay attention to in the structure that you just shared is not necessarily your structure as a repeatable process but how and why that structure works for you so this is where we get into trouble both as adhd people and as people trying to support and help adhd people is we start with structure or rules. And again, structure or rules is trying to address the outward behavior that you see. It's not necessarily touching on the inward manifestation. And I see the inward manifestation happening in two areas. The first of which is how we do experience time differently. Time can really expand. When something is terribly boring, five minutes can feel like five hours. Whereas when something really has our interest, five hours can feel like five minutes. So we have this expanding and contraction of time. We also have shortened time horizons. I don't know if you've talked about time horizons before on the show. You're nodding your head, so I know you're familiar. So to illustrate time horizons, think about the actual horizon. You're standing on the beach and you see a ship far out on the horizon And you can't make out any detail at all. You can't tell size. You can't tell what type of vessel it is. You certainly can't see color or fine detail. As that ship starts to approach the shore, more and more detail becomes clear. For neurotypical people, the average time horizon is four to six months. And so this is the time into the future in which time feels real, in which you can concretely plan for. For those of us with ADHD, two to three days to two to three weeks. This is that now or not now phenomenon. This is why that project with a due date that is four months away, all of the sudden looms on top of us because that time in the future doesn't feel real until it is almost too late until the thing is actually upon us.
1: It's why we do things when they're due tomorrow,
0: but not when they're due
1: on Friday.
0: Right. And then add to that the concept of temporal discounting. So the farther into the future a reward or punishment is the less our brain pays attention to it, the less weight we give to it. And that's true for everyone. That's true for neurotypicals as well as ADHD people. But throw our shortened time horizon on top of it, and we're not even paying attention to that reward or punishment until, again, it's right on top of us. Those are sort of the functional things happening in our brain that make time difficult. But then you add on these emotional layers, getting stuck in the limbic system around stuff, building walls of awful, uh, catastrophizing, you know, sort of that rumination where you ruminate out, for example, me starting a podcast where I ruminate out to the point where it's going to be a failure before I even start. And so then I don't make any progress. Or on the other hand, minimizing, sort of ignoring that big looming cloud The task that is due, the project that is due for your students, the reports that are due until it's too late. You know, just pretending like it doesn't exist, convincing ourselves that it's not real, it's not there, we don't have to pay attention to it. And it's interesting how
1: we can end up in the same place for different reasons. My wife asked me to do the dishes. Let's say I use this example a lot in the show. My wife asked me to do the dishes. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I will do the dishes and I totally mean it, or I'm uncomfortable and kind of don't want to do the dishes because they're, I don't know, gross and covered with American chop suey or something. I'm like, ew, wet noodles. If I totally mean it, but something interrupts my progress towards the dishes, one of my kids is like, hey, dad, can you help me figure out this computer problem? Or can I have some chocolate milk? Sometimes something that small can interrupt me from doing the dishes. Then I'm not doing the dishes because I got interrupted. I lost track of time. I, I did forget, right? It just poofed on me. And now I'm not doing the dishes. I'm not procrastinating. I'm not avoiding the task. I'm just spaced out and forgot. Or I'm in my head and I'm like, I'm going to do the dishes. Amy wants me to do, to do the dishes. But first, I should email that client back to make sure that we're scheduled for tomorrow tomorrow and make sure I've opened the podcast to edit it so that I will actually edit it later. I have to do those two things and then I'll do the dishes. Podcast opening turns into some podcast editing or that email takes a little longer to write and the window of time I had that I could have done the dishes in suddenly closes and now I have to do something else, right? I've gotta help the boys get to bed or mow the backyard or something, right? Suddenly I'm not in a position to be able to do the dishes anymore. Or just my wife is like, I thought you're going to do the dishes. How come you're not? And now she's doing them and she's aggravated with me. And I may or may not realize that. On the other side, maybe I don't enjoy doing the dishes. It's a task that is frustrating or sensorily uncomfortable for me or whatever. And I am avoiding it. And I'm like, yes, I'll do the dishes. Ew. I've When can I, like, how long can I put this off before I have to actually do it? And maybe I put it off for too long because... I have poor time awareness. And even there's that little bit of oppositionality that comes with ADHD too. And sometimes when someone asks us to do something, we just don't (laughs) because that oppositionality kicks in and we mean to do it eventually because we're not totally jerks, but also I'm not going to do it right now because that makes me feel like I'm not my own person or it's some nonsense. And so that's, I don't know, three, four, maybe five different reasons why I might not do the dishes. And they're not even remotely connected. Like they're not even similar. The causes of them are very
0: different. But the end result, that behavior looks the same. Before I say more on that, I want to throw in a little aside about oppositionality, which had me cracking up over here. I have a client who has that on board so strongly That we don't do actions in our coaching calls as insane as that sounds because coaching is a learning action model we do all of the other work and then she leaves the call and decides what her actions will be based on the learning in the call because if we do actions that oppositionality comes in so strong that they will not get done because she is obligated in some way to do them because we've talked about them. So there's an example of a really unique manifestation. And I love this example of doing the dishes because if we just looked at the behavior of Brendan's not doing the dishes again and tried to solve just for the behavior, we wouldn't get anywhere because as you said you named four or five different reasons why you may not be doing the dishes at that time and that is the work we do as ADHD coaches and that is the work that Cam and I do on our show that's why it's called translating ADHD is we are not there to tell people how to solve their ADHD we want people to look inward to that individual manifestation and so to borrow a cam metaphor if you think about a pocket Rubik's cube that has four cubes on each side, that little baby Rubik's cube has over 3.6 million different combinations, different ways in which you can turn it and create different combinations. So apply that same thing to ADHD, the six areas of executive function. Under each of those areas, there's almost an infinite list of symptoms and ways that our clients would articulate their symptoms to us. Now, if you just try and solve for the high level, it's procrastination. You're not going to get anywhere. You got to go deeper than that. What's going on behind procrastination? What is this combination of symptoms for you? And that's why I know we came here to talk about time, but you cannot talk about time management and ADHD without talking about ADHD manifestation, because you can't just solve for the functional side of time management. You have to solve for the ADHD stuff at the same time. You have to figure out what combinations of things are going on, what, what part of it is structural and is the need for systems and habits and routines around time, and what parts of it our ADHD behaviors, our avoidance, our deeper manifestations are getting stuck in that big brain or in that fast brain and not recognizing that behavior when it's happening.
1: What are executive functioning breakdown too, right? Like where is your planning and prioritizing falling down? Yeah. Or your, just your ability to execute, just the, the ability to start. Like we as ADHD folks have trouble starting sometimes and I might stand in front of the sink ready to do the dishes and I'm not doing the dishes yet. I don't know why I just, I'm not doing them. <laughs> so it's time to play a podcast or some music or something so that I can get that started. And that often is where our parents, our spouse, our boss, our whoever brings in that extra prompt, right? That like is a little harsher and a little sharper. Are you going to do that? Like that? Ugh, oh, Oh, right. And now What activates me is my anxiety increasing. I'm burning my anxiety for fuel, as opposed to being able to execute and start with my executive functions on my prefrontal cortex. I had to shift to the amygdala a little bit to get going instead of being able to just stay in the prefrontal cortex.
0: Yeah. And as ADHD people, we can rely on that anxiety, that shot of adrenaline as an elixir. That's why we find ourselves relying on urgency so often, is we are good under pressure. We are incredible under pressure, but it's not sustainable because the part that we forget is when we rely on adrenaline, there's always a crash. There's the adrenaline, we respond, and then we crash and we discount the crash because as ADHD people, we're terrible at examining and learning from our lived experience in a useful way. That's why ADHD coaching exists, because it is a framework to teach people how to do that, to build that skill set, but it doesn't come to us naturally. And again, that makes sense because we've got this now or not now. We live in the next two to three days to two to three weeks. And so we're not thinking back and reflecting on what happened. Three months ago, unless we're down in the limbic system and we're doing it to beat ourselves up, if we're connecting this failure to the previous failure to the previous failure. But that's not going to give us information. That's just going to put us in a spiral of feeling terrible about ourselves.
1: Have you found anything of use for your ADHD clients or the neurotypical people in their lives as it relates to? the experience of COVID and the way time has been weird for everybody right now and the way a lot of us are kind of in the limbic system and struggling and just having a hard time and, and burning out more easily and spending more time with the anxiety and having that crash. Have you had any kind of experience or feedback around what insights
0: may or may not have been hiding in this experience for folks? I'm sorry my brain went like seven different directions. <laughs> Can I ask you to like give me a synopsis of the question real quick? Yeah, I'm ju- I'm just wondering if you've noticed any
1: any insights that have come out of COVID because the experience of COVID is a lot like the experience of ADHD. All of us are exhausting our executive functions. Mm-hmm. Neurotypical or neurodiverse, we're exhausting our executive functions faster than we used to. We're hitting that spike of anxiety more regularly than we used to. Time doesn't make any sense anymore, even for neurotypicals. I hear a lot of neurotypicals talking about that. We've been in 2020 for what, like 17 years now? And it's like, no, it's been like nine months. And so I'm wondering if you've, if you've pulled any interesting perspectives out of that, either from your clients or from your their neurotypical friends, spouses, whatever.
0: What I'm noticing with my clients, and I will say that when COVID hit, I expected my business to redline because ADHD coaches are not essential. And because we are outside of the healthcare system, we're not covered by insurance, people pay us out of pocket. And so with reduced incomes and increased chaos, I expected my business to flatline. The opposite happened. And I think the really interesting thing is that most of my clients have sort of capitalized on the opportunity that COVID has presented. Some of the things that the neurotypicals are struggling with, we've already built a lot of resilience around. We're used to the chaos a little bit more, so we can deal with it a little bit better. Most of my clients are looking at this as a I have more time and space than I had before because I'm not commuting or because these things are absent from my life because my social calendar is necessarily much emptier than it used to be. And within that lies opportunity. And I think that is the coolest thing. And it's been almost universal. I didn't lose a single client when COVID hit, not one. Um, I offered sliding scale to any of my clients whose income was impacted. All of those clients are now back on their feet and back to paying my full rate. So we are more resilient as ADHD people than we give ourselves credit for. much more resilient. And I find that by and large, yes, there are challenges. and man, ADHD people hate zoom. that's that's universal. You know, this one to one is fine. but When you put ADHD people in a Zoom meeting, that's torture. So we definitely have struggles that are unique to our ADHD and struggles that are universal with the chaos, but we already kind of know how to deal with that. I agree.
1: I've had that same experience personally and with my clients that it it looks kind of the same. Either we're going, oh yeah, no, no, no. This is the water that I swim in all the time. It's nice of the rest of you to dive in. (laughs) <laughs> or people are totally tapped out. They're completely like, this is my normal experience that was already hard, turned up to 11, and I feel like I'm drowning. One of those two things happens, not necessarily in exclusivity. I've had folks who one day they're drowning and the next day they're on top of the world and even more so than usual for ADHD just because of the shifting tides of COVID and what, what their demands on their own them are so circling back to time because that's what we're playing with we've talked about the time horizon we've talked about how the adhd experience of time is different where else do we want to look how else can we help our neurotypical listeners understand and potentially our adhd listeners too, understand what's going on inside the brain of an adhd person and the mind of an adhd person as it relates to their chronometer
0: I'm going to say this again because I cannot emphasize this point enough. Neurotypical listeners who are listening to support an ADHD loved one, first of all, you're awesome for taking the time to listen to this show and do this work for yourself. Do not hear this as a criticism if this is something that you have done in the past. That's not what this is here for. But that if you just... That looking at the behavior, that is the behavior you need to disrupt as a neurotypical person. Because the way that your brain is wired, if you were behaving in that way, those causes that you're linking to would probably be true. But for us, they're almost never what you think they are. Almost never. And I can give you a recent example from a client session where we were talking about email. And this client said, I live in my email to the detriment of my bigger picture. She's an entrepreneur. She had several projects in the works. She wasn't making progress on any of them because she was living in email. And we worked on this topic for three or four sessions getting to action it started with sort of structuring how can i limit email sort of put it in a box only check it certain type certain times of day trying some structural elements there what we eventually came to in that fourth session we're back to email nothing has worked is that she was addicted to email because there were a bunch of hard emails or what she called hard emails sitting at the bottom of her inbox She didn't want to deal with those. So her way of coping with that was to deal with the easy ones as soon as they came in. Deal with the easy ones, deal with the easy ones, while these hard ones just sit like a dark cloud hanging over. So what that client actually needed in order to get out of email and get back to what mattered to her was a solve for her hard emails, was to figure out how can I deal with and manage these quote unquote hard emails? And I'll tell you what the hard emails were and what the solve was. So this client is a graphic designer and the hard emails for her were when clients, she'd present several designs and the clients would come back and say, well, which one is your favorite? She's like, they're all my favorite. I wouldn't present this to you if it wasn't my best work. I can't pick. It's like picking your favorite child. I can't do that. And I said, well, It sounds like this is an opportunity for you to to define your role with your clients. So if I was a client of yours, what you just said makes sense to me. Could you not just say that to your clients? She said, oh, I can. So we came up with a template and all of a sudden hard emails now have a solve and email itself is no longer taking up space in her day. All of a sudden, all those structures and things we worked on before work. They clicked into place. She only checks email a couple of times a day. She has adjusted her expectations for how quickly she should respond to people and how quickly people should expect a response from her. And we had already done that work, but it didn't actually work until we solved for hard emails. And so that's the complexity of ADHD is the problem, the not getting things done on time, the being late, the missing deadlines, the forgetting things is always more complex than what you think it is.
1: I am another person who email is hard for me. Email is killing me. And just when I solved it, COVID changed the problem. Because where I'm getting tripped up on email now is every email I get is more planning that I have to do, just about. It's someone asking me to schedule them into my day, basically. And I don't have a lot of space in my day to schedule someone in. And I am... Incre I'm almost afraid, like I'm incredibly hesitant to try to schedule someone into my day because I don't know if that's gonna knock a different domino loose because now I don't have an hour of wiggle room in that time slot that I might need and not know I need it because we're not on that day yet. And I've got like I'm I keep saying on the show, I'm homeschooling my kids, and that throws all kinds of fun monkey wrenches in the work sometimes because we're all living through a global pandemic and just like everyone at home who has kids that are some days they're doing fine with it. And some days they're struggling a lot and they don't want to come out of their room or they're upset and sad. I don't know what next Wednesday is going to look like. So if you want to meet with me at two o'clock next Wednesday, sometimes I'm like, yeah, sure. Cool. We'll meet two o'clock next Wednesday. And other times I'm like, I don't know. And I just get frozen. So that that's a time scenario for me. So it kind of fits with what we're talking about here but it's also an executive functioning planning piece. And it's where the two of those are intersecting for me
0: that is making email hard. So I completely understand your client. Absolutely. So the executive function stuff is getting in the way as you're thinking through how to solve that email. And then where do you end up? You end up in the limbic system. You end up in fight, flight, or freeze, and you're literally frozen. And when we are in the emotional brain, We can't be creative. We can't problem solve there. So now until you can shift back out of that, this is not a solvable problem. What makes it worse
1: is eventually email just puts me in the limbic system. I don't even want to read the email because it might lead to me being stuck and I don't want to be stuck. So I'm just going to not read the email. And then the emails pile up and pile up and pile up and pile up until I have a full day where I have nothing to do and I can just spend all day. Replying to emails because I do have to do that because it's my job. It's a tricky, tricky thing. And I'm sure I'm not the only one struggling with this right now.
0: (laughs) Can I make a bold statement? Yeah, do it. Email is the worst thing that has ever happened to humanity. Period. Email is so interesting because I see so much struggle, not just with ADHD people, but I do a lot of speaking and training on time management and productivity for broader audiences that are full of a lot of neurotypicals. Email is so problematic for so many reasons. And that could almost be another episode unto itself. But ADHD people know that you're not alone with email. The neurotypicals are right there with us with email struggles, because email stinks. It stinks. It's a terrible form of communication And it's difficult for everyone. So you're not alone there. The way that I solved it before
1: COVID hit, I'll give it to you in case it's useful for your clients or your workshops or whatever. I'm going to hold it up. The audience isn't going to see it, but I'll explain what it is. A counter. (laughs) I have one of those handheld counters that you use for like seeing if there's too many people in the supermarket or counting how many people are going to the club or whatever, right? And here's why it works. When I reply to an email, it's very ethereal. It doesn't feel like an accomplishment. It doesn't feel like I get any credit for having done it. It just disappears into the ether and I may or may not hear back from that person. Cause I get a bunch of emails from people who are like, I wanna work with you. And I'm like, cool. Here's my calendar link, like set something up. And they're like, crickets, like nothing comes of it. Cause they have ADHD. So of course that happens. Right. When I started using this counter, Suddenly I felt like I got credit for all those emails and I knew how many I had done over the course of an hour or a day or whatever. And I could say today I replied to 17 emails and that felt good and let me get momentum the next day and the day after that and the day after that. And it let me feel accomplished around having done this emailing in a way
0: that I had never experienced prior to.
1: And that was sort of when I started to realize how ethereal email is.
0: I love that strategy and I love that language of email being ethereal because that is one of the things that makes email so, so terrible. To counter your example, my solve has been to get out of email as much as possible. So I have a Discord server for my clients. Each one of them has their own area in that server. And that is where we communicate. We don't do text. We don't do email. We only do discord. So my client communications live in their own nice little box where I can check them all at one time and where they're not getting mixed up with the other stuff that comes through email. So even if I'm really really stinking at email. And that does happen. You know, I have those times where my inbox is out of control. I'm at least not losing touch with what's going on with my clients and they are receiving communication back from me.
1: That's a great silo method. I like that. I'm going to have to learn how to use discord.
0: Yeah. And I find it helps my clients too, because most of us as ADHD people We hate emails, we hate text messages, and there are just huge walls of awful around even opening those inboxes. So it can be difficult for my clients who might want to communicate with me to face down the inbox long enough to send me an email. So it's really, I found to be mutually beneficial. And uh, I'd certainly be happy to uh, show you around Discord and show you how I have it set up. Cool.
1: Yay. Yeah. Just being mindful of time do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience?
0: I'm going to reiterate it for the third time because it's just the most important point of this episode. We talked about time, but we didn't really talk about time. Why is that? Because you cannot separate the functional stuff of time management and the ADHD stuff and get a successful result. So if you are an ADHD person you got to get curious about the bigger picture. What's going on for me around this particular task or set of tasks? And Brendan's dishes example is beautiful there because it was one type of task that could have a number of different things going on. So get curious what's going on for you. And don't do that just once. You got to keep dipping into that well of curiosity over time. Just because it presented this way this time, it might be something entirely different the next time you're stalling on a similar task. For those of you listening that are supporting ADHD people, break that behavior of linking our behavior to your causes. Instead, try and help the person that you're working with. Try and talk to them. Let them articulate their experience to you. So, that you can start to understand what's going on for them. And so they can start to understand it because those of us with ADHD aren't necessarily great at articulating our experiences. It's a skill we learn in coaching or as coaches or as experts. But my clients often come not having great language for their experiences. But you know how we get better at that? We say it out loud, we hear ourselves, we start to hear. Things that resonate, we start to see the things that are showing up over and over again. So, give that person space to talk about what it is for them, help them hear themselves, and then work from that information to craft solutions and know that the solutions you craft may not be right the first time. So, my solution for email is beautiful and I'm delighted. I started my first business in 2011. I just got here last year. I just found the ultimate solve for myself last year.
1: Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com.